drive. They've got it. They've got the drive going. Five metres, four metres, three, two, one. Can the ref give it? Now it's come out. Staunton wriggling his way to the post and right on the post. There are three there. It must be a try. Yes, it is. A second try for John Kelly. No. It's all there for the taking. As Gloucester pick themselves up from underneath their own posts. The patient build-up, the professional play of all of Munster there. Spending 11 seasons as a player with Munster, John Kelly amassed a total of 153 caps for his native province, scoring 14 tries in European competition. Perhaps his second touchdown in Munster's miracle match against Gloucester in the 2003 Honeycomb Cup being the most famous. On the international front, he scored an impressive 8 tries in 17 appearances for Ireland. John now sits as chairman of Munster Rugby's professional game board, which oversees all aspects of professional rugby in Munster. And later on, John is going to explain the process of retaining and recruiting players, as well as the overall succession plans at provincial and national level. But firstly, John begins by discussing the makeup of the professional game board. Well, the professional game board has been in, in place around the, the, the professional team um, since I was playing, which is almost 10 years ago at this stage. Um, it's a cross-section of people uh, who can advise the, the professionals on the professional setup. Um, it's uh, a board that currently um, I would sit on it as, as the chairman. Um, I originally came onto it as a a former professional player mm-hmm. um, we also have Killian Keane is, is our latest addition he's also a, a, a former professional player he's a guy who brings a facet because he's involved up in UCD he's on the ground in, in Dublin as well so um, mm-hmm. but also very knowledgeable about rugby and knows a lot of players uh, in the game um, Gareth Fitzgerald the CEO sits on it uh, Greg Barrett um, who is an IRFU delegate um, and it's important for us to have an IRFU delegate on that mm. board so we can understand as well what they're thinking at IRFU level. Um, we have Dennis Kelleher who's a, a Munster branch um, delegate. He would be linked into the club game and would give us a very good perspective on um, the club side. Uh, John Hartree as well who was previously chair before me um, also has been uh, president of, of the Munster branch mm. uh, but again a very knowledgeable guy would sit on the, the, the board and then you'd have the um, the head coach Anthony Foley and uh, the team manager Niall O'Donovan would report into the board um, and Peter Malone uh, and Tom Barry on the, the academy board would uh, would also report in. So it's fair enough to say it's more than just the 23 that tag out on the day of a game it's more than just the actual team it's about the business of rugby nowadays. Very much so I mean rugby rugby is a business and it's 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 results driven and you have to produce on the field uh, what the professional game board's remit is is to try and make sure everything around the professional team is is functioning well um that you put in the systems uh, and the personnel that will will deliver on the day we would look at at coaching structures we'd look at at players um at succession on players um and it's not so much for the team that's talking out on Saturday it's the team that's talking out next season and the season after that um so you're you're always looking ahead um, and trying to put your 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 best team on the pitch, um, because ultimately uh, a winning team will 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 get support and and will drive income. Retaining a number of the the frontline players of late has been key to success going forward. Obviously, we'll say the likes of Conor Murray, Keith Earls, Simon Zebo. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that goes into retaining those frontline players, and and I suppose especially nowadays the challenges that Munster will be facing doing so. There's a huge amount of work that goes into actually retaining your 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 
marquee players, your uh, like Conor Murray and Keith Earls um, and Simon Zebo this year were, were three who were um, key to us keeping. Like we have to, I suppose there's an expectation that you'll go out into the market and, and buy a marquee player, buy a, a, a Dan Carter or somebody like that. But it's it's even more important to us to retain those players like Keith Earls. Um, and the challenges at the moment are, are the market has changed. You go back even four years ago, uh, the market was very different. Uh, you've got the TV money in France and the TV money in um, in the Premiership in England now, which has raised the ability of the French and English teams to actually put big lump sums on the table for players. Even a factor like the, the exchange rate between Sterling and the Euro has made going to the, the UK teams more attractive. So it, it's, it's very challenging now just to retain those players. There was a huge amount of hard work done there's different levels of contracts. You've got um, Irish contracts and then you've got provincial contracts. So there are so many Irish contracts that, that are given out every year. Last year, it was a very limited number, I think, down around the, the 14 mark. I think they've increased it for the coming season. We would have a couple of, a few players would, would sit in that national um, contract level. So those are primarily handled by um, the IRFU. But it's very much in our interest to make sure that they're moving along um, and we would have had constant contact with David Nusfora around um, Conor Murray and around Keith Earls in particular this year where you're trying to ensure that these players are, are retained and um, for me it was a real success of the year that we actually managed to retain all our Irish marquee players. How much talking do you do with David Nusfora and the IRFU when you're retaining these guys? That process would start right at the very start of the season like you might have had players coming out of contract in June 2016 so you'd start that process back in August 2015 you'd, you'd start speaking to the to the IRFU to, to David Nusifora in particular um, and David has been very good in coming down he's come down and met with us early to see what do we want and what do we want to ensure and, and he starts the process of speaking to the players very early as well now ideally we want to have all these done um, as quickly as possible but being a World Cup year that brought a challenge in itself as well where players usually want to wait till after the World Cup before they sign contracts so there's always a bit of pressure but um, this year we, we, we definitely got the, the results we wanted in terms of the, the, the national contracts um, then you have uh, the provincial contracts um, where, where Simon Zebo was an example of that where we wanted to ensure that we kept Simon he's a Again, he's he's a very attractive player in the market and obviously had offers um, to go elsewhere. Um, I think it's very important to have a, a good rapport and with the player. And I know Garrett has a, would have a very good relationship with mm-hmm. a lot of the players and would speak to them on a regular basis. And really trying to just trying to get to a deal at the end. I think with contract negotiations, if if one side is completely happy, then the the, the, the negotiation probably hasn't worked properly. So you're trying to meet in the middle somewhere. When it comes to, to scouting for new players, does that start with the coaching team who start looking around or are there scouters out there, the professional game boards? Do you guys take charge of that or, or is it a mixture of everything? The the coaching team and our, our analysis team would um, would identify the players. I think that the whole succession plan, you have to be looking right down to your, your academy and your sub-academy and who's coming through to identify areas where you need to, where you potentially need to contract in the future. Um, so you'd have a positions identified and the professional game board would be aware of those, but uh, driven by the coaching team um, and the analysis team. Um, they'd also go about 
identifying a wish list of players that they would think would um, fit the role suitably. As a as professional game board, we'd be we'd be notified of this, and Garrett would be the one. Uh, Garrett Fitzgerald would do the would do the chasing then and, and, and identifying who's available, who's out of contract, and then progressing it from there. You say fit the role because it's more than just bringing in a marquee player. You have to get the guy who is going to suit the way the team plays as well. I'd imagine exactly. Um, like I was asked a very interesting question recently about what what are and it was a question what are monster about um, mm. and what way do we what way do we play and what way do we want to play. So I think it's a very important factor that the coaching team does identify. For example, um, they're not just identifying a center; they're mm. they're identifying a center that will fit to the game plan. The analysis team would identify centers. Uh, who would be suitable for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it goes to Gareth Fitzgerald, who would identify who's available and who's coming out of contract. And that's where it's difficult. And it, it is a very challenging market now because you might identify players that you'd, you would like to get, um, but they may, they may be even be out of contract. But you might also know that they have no intention of moving. Um, and you can find that out fairly quickly. Um, so it's, you, you might start with a, a big list, but yeah. then it gets narrowed down fairly very quickly. Fast. And then you also, if a guy is willing to move, he could be willing to move to other clubs as well. So that's where negotiations start. For example, we've signed Sam Arnold uh, of late from Ulster. And when you sign a player between the provinces, what are the stages involved? First of all, you have to look at it in terms of our restrictions. Um, and I, I think... There's a perception out there that we can just go and sign a player, um, no matter what nationality or no matter where he's from, um, which isn't the case. You've got restrictions on, on NIQs, which are non-Irish qualified players. We can sign four uh, non-Irish qualified players, um, plus one is what we usually say, four plus one, and the one being a project player. So a non-Irish qualified player is usually a player who's, who's played at international level, so he's never going to play for Ireland. The one project is the likes of, of CJ who was signed as a project player. Now he's he's an Irish player after three years. So presumably so, David Nusifora and the IRFU will, will take a role with those types of players when you're signing definitely, them? Definitely, very much so. Um, especially the project is something that they're very interested in, obviously, mm-hmm. because they want to they want us to sign somebody who they think has the capability of playing for Ireland in three years' time. And CJ is definitely a success story there. Uh, we, we look at his impact since he's... he's He's debuted for Ireland. He's been fantastic. So they have an input in that, but they also have an input in the, the other four NIQs in that you look across the provinces. If, if you have Ruin Pienaar in Ulster, mm-hmm. it means that ourselves um, and, and the other provinces can't sign a nine, a non-Irish qualified nine. So there's a restriction on you straight away um, that we know we have to go after Irish players for the nine slot or a project who could become an Irish player for the nine slot. The RFU has a big input on um, on who you can sign and in, in what positions you can sign. So we would generally have to, if we're, if we're looking for what we call the marquee player mm. um, and say if Frankie Siley would be would be in that mar- in that marker as in he's, he's an all black, he's mm. played for the all blacks twice, so he's a, a marquee signing we would have had to go and get permission to 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 sign a centre, to sign, and in particular to sign uh, a 13. So the RFU has a big input on that. And because we've signed a 13, then the other provinces don't have the permission to actually sign a 13. Presumably that's all part of the IRFU's succession plan then, because 
fair enough to say it's it's ultimately trying to get a guy from sub academy onto academy into pro 12 into european and then ultimately lining out for the irish team that's what the irfu want to see that pathway exactly and and as a province we would have our own succession plan where uh, we would be which i would have mentioned earlier we'd be looking at sub academies right through to our our what would be our first 15 but there's uh, david nusfor has put in place uh, a national succession plan as well where they're looking to have a natural progression from young player to international and as part of that they have to look at well are there positions where potentially we are um we're not producing and i know tighthead has always been a concern for many years so um tighthead would be an area where there'd be a huge focus uh, by there are a few on and as a result there'd be a restriction on bringing in a tighthead prop um into any of the provinces mm. um so that succession plan obviously has has a big impact but Again, we have to be looking at it from a provincial point of view and see well where are the areas where where we need we need something special or we need a marquee signing to make us better because we're we're always looking to when we go after a marquee signing, you're not plugging a gap with 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 a player who you think is just slightly better than an Irish player. We want to actually go out into the market and buy somebody who's significantly going mm. to impact our team. I suppose of late people have seen that the Irish team has done very well in the past couple of years and there hasn't been that same level of success at the provinces but undoubtedly there's an understanding that without a competitive group of provinces it could be detrimental or would be detrimental to the Irish team going forward. I would think so. I, I From my own experiences as a player um, when we brought in the likes of, of Jim Williams and Christian Cullen um, they cause or they bring about improvements in the local players without a shadow of a doubt just the standards they bring the quality that they bring you see it in in underage rugby where where when you say at under 18 level if you get the best under 18s together um, and put in quality in together in an under 18 level they will play better so the more you can have quality playing together the more they drive each other on so i think when you bring in quality players from abroad they they will bring on the the the, the Irish guys as well without a shadow of a doubt um, but I, I also think again this is a, a personal view but I think success in the provinces is key to international success um, and it might take time I think you've had success with, with Munster you've had success with Leinster in Europe and that has driven on the Irish team um, winning becomes a habit like I, I remember going back to Declan Kidney we were going up to France to get opened up every time we went over there and it was a change of mentality to realize that yeah we have to go to france mm-hmm. um, and if we got our first win on french soil in the european cup eventually we started winning regularly in france um, the next thing ireland won in france for the first time in god knows how long because i certainly didn't remember them winning over there when i was yeah. growing up watching on tv so i think when you have provinces performing at that level and, and winning it, it filters on to the national team as well the academy there's been strong performances through the academy guys coming through in the past number of years certainly in the past season we've had a number of guys coming through but also you look at the likes of Conor Murray and Zebo and these guys who are also products of the Munster Academy going back a number of years yeah I think I think we should we should judge our, our academy on on bringing flares through into Munster contracts but also bringing players through who end up on, on the Irish team um, and who end up on, on the Lions in the case of, of um, Simon Zebo and, and Conor Murray um, like they are products of our academy um, and have come through the system um, 
and it, it's something that has been there for a long time and has been producing players for Munster of quality to go on to, to interna- international level. Um, from my, my own time, you had um, you had Tommy O'Donnell, I remember him uh, my last year or two, that Tommy was on the scene coming through the academy and Tommy has progressed fantastically from that time um, to go on to become uh, a, a regular within the Irish squad uh, and a key player for Munster. You mentioned Conor Murray, you mentioned Simon Zebo, James Cronin is another product mm-hmm. of the academy who I think can progress and become uh, a regular on the Irish team. And and that's what you want your academy to be doing is, is to be bringing players in and accelerating their development um, so that they can get onto the pitch for Munster. Um, on Sunday we saw Darren Sweetenham, who I thought had a fantastic game mm-hmm. individually. Um, he's, a, he's again, is a guy who's who, who probably... Didn't come the traditional rugby route and needed time in the academy to actually accelerate his mm-hmm. development. And uh, I think he he can go on and become a, a key player for for Munster as well. But again, you have David Johnson, Sean McCarthy, Rory Scannell, who who will progress out of the academy this year. Um, and and Rory has has established himself now as as the twelve in Munster. So it is a production line. It is producing players. Um, and we need it to produce players because again we have that restriction on 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 non-Irish qualified players. A lot of these guys would have had game time in the BNI Cup, and when they're not playing BNI Cup, they are playing in the club game, and that that's also essential. Getting this constant game time essential to their development. I think so. I think the the AL has historically produced um, some great players for Munster over the years, and and it, the, the teams I played on were were produced by a very strong club game, and I think the club game has a, a huge role to play in in developing players also um it should be it should be part of their regular rugby and part of their development and we have had players um like Rory Scannell um who've, who've played a lot of the club game um and it has definitely improved them so i think it's very important for for us as a professional organization to to link in with the club game um as efficiently as possible and i know our coaches at the start of the year um met with all the the AIL coaches in in the top 2 divisions just so that the lines of communication are open. And I, I know that there's a conscious effort to release development players and academy players as, as much as possible. The single training centre, is that something you guys are actively involved in? Yeah, I th- I th- like the, the decision on the single training centre was, was, it's almost historic to us in some ways because it was something we were talking about about three or four years ago, five mm-hmm. years ago, I would say even. Um, and it, when I first came on the professional game board, which was... I think it was back in in 2009 that was one of the first things that I was talking about at the time um so that's that is ongoing and we'd be keeping an eye on it but there's a, a separate committee de- dealing with the development and we would have had a big input in the structure in the 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 layout down to the gym and and as a professional game board but also the the coaches at the time I like it would have been Sean Payne and, and Tony McGann who would have yeah. done a lot of the groundwork um on in terms of the structure and the layout so that tells you how long that's been been going on um I think it's a very important it's it's going to be very important for for Munster's progression that we have our our squad together on a daily basis um it's a, it's a very challenging for the coaches trying to deal with with uh, two centers and trying to deal with a back line where you might have four guys in Cork and three guys in, in Limerick um, like I'm I'm from Cork myself it's very important to me that we still have a, a very strong rugby presence in Cork and yeah. I also the players from from Cork and from from Waterford from Kerry um that it's very important that they're able to travel from wherever they want to training every day. 
it will be a challenge, but it will make us better. Finally, John, as a former player, it must be great to continue your association with, with the province behind the scenes notice. Yeah, and I, I spent 10 and a half years playing with Munster. It's something I care passionately about. Um, and I speak to a lot of guys, former players. I, I sat next to Frankie um, at the game last Sunday. Um, and I talk to former players regularly. <clears throat> But it's, uh, it's something I think all of us care about a huge amount and I'm delighted to have an opportunity to, to be involved in it and to try my best to, to improve Munster and, and, and make it better uh, on a regular basis. Um, it's very challenging, but it's also very enjoyable.